Hello and welcome to a new series of Livewire. I'm going to explain soon the uh, name Xdocs to you, but let me just start by asking a question. Do any of you still remember floppy disks? I'm going to guess that most of you don't, but before we had the cloud, which is where, for instance, this uh, video is stored, we had uh, USBs and uh, a USB stick uh, would plug into a computer and on a computer there'd be a hard uh, hard disk where all the information, all the all the uh, memory is stored. Before that, uh, before computers had built-in hard disks, uh, you had to put in a small floppy disk that was actually kind of square and, um, and stiff, and you would put that into a computer, and you would take out uh, all your documents or whatever you had stored on that. And before uh, one of these small floppy disks, there was a larger actual floppy disk, you could literally wave it and find yourself on a hot day. So I remember when I first started work, computers, the personal computers first came out and it helped me explain something really important when I was working in schools. I would often go into schools and find that young people struggled to really um, accept God. And I wanted to try and explain to them why that was sometimes and I said, you know, there are different types of computers and uh, different computers have different power, a different sized memory. Now imagine I got a, a floppy disk, I used to say to them, that had a, a high memory and I put it into a computer with low memory, a low powered, low budget computer. Even though the disk works, you would put that into your computer, the program or the game would not run and you would eject it, give it me back and say, hey Paul, there's something wrong with this disk. The actual fact would be, no, there's nothing wrong with the disk, it's just that your computer isn't powerful enough to run that particular game. Uh, more uh, nowadays, I guess, uh, a similar analogy would be to do with a PlayStation and an Xbox. So in those days, I would say to young people, look, you know, the problem is not that uh, the problem is not that God doesn't work or God can't be real. The problem is that God's an infinite God and we have a finite brain. And our finite brain cannot get our mind around an infinite God. But I think nowadays, even with Christians, we have a similar problem. Like I've just mentioned, we have Playstations and we have Xboxes. So I have an Xbox at home. Uh, I like to play FIFA um, on my Xbox. It's something I do just to relax. Now, if I took my uh, Xbox FIFA disc and I gave it to a friend who had a PlayStation, he might put that disc in his PlayStation, it wouldn't work, give it me back and say, hey, Paul, this just doesn't make sense. Um, it doesn't work. The problem wouldn't be anything to do with the disc. It would be the fact that he has a different uh, station, uh, his PlayStation has a different operating system. And sometimes I feel that even in the Christian world, uh, some of us are operating with different operating systems. You know, I sometimes share the vision of Pays and people find it hard to understand. They can't get their mind around it. And I'm thinking, I don't think it's that Pays is that complicated. I think it's that we're coming from things from a different perspective. So this uh, series is entitled Xdocs. And the reason I say that is to keep that image in your mind and talk about doxology. Doxology is like a hymn or a, a song of praise that's sung in unity by a group of people. 
But the problem is in Christianity today, not everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet. Not everybody's singing in unison. Sometimes we have different perspectives. Sometimes we have a different angle and that's a good thing. But sometimes it leads to complete disunity where someone might share something. You might share a vision or a dream with someone and they just don't get it because they're coming from a completely different perspective fundamentally from you. What can we do about that? And how do we make sure that we're operating on the right operating system? The same one, the same perspective as God. That's the thing we're going to look at. So a lot of this series is not so much going to be about leadership. It's going to be more of a heart check, a mind check to ask ourselves, um, are, we, are we really understanding uh, what God has for us? Um, are we pursuing the kingdom? Or have we been sidetracked by modern corporate Christianity? Um, is there a difference between Christ and Christianity even? So let's start. We're going to look at a passage of scripture. The passage of scripture is in Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So what's interesting about the name Christian is it was only used three times in the Bible. More often we're referred to as saints. Um, the other interesting thing about the word Christian is it wasn't really a name that we gave ourselves. It was given to us uh, as a term of ridicule. Uh, people said, oh, look at those Christians or hey, you're Christians. And the word Christian meant little Christ. It's a bit like somebody saying, hey, you're a bunch of um, Bible bashers. But what Christians did in this case was we thought, little Christ, okay, that's great, I quite like that. Okay, yeah, call us that, we're okay with that. But I think there's a clue in the name. I think there's a clue in the name to unity, to a way that we can be singing on the same hymn sheet together, uh, a way that you can find yourself more closely aligned to God. And the Bible says that as you're more closely aligned to God, your prayers will have more power and you'll be able to understand God's will for your life more. So this series really is about helping you understand, are you on the same page as God? Or has something distracted you from that? So let's look at our first uh, workshop. Please watch the video, A Day in the Life. This is a short video about a day in the life of a PAYS team. Now this particular PAYS team is in Northern Ireland, and yet teams on six continents of the world will be doing pretty much the same thing 
using similar tools and for the same purpose. So I'd like you to watch the video and then discuss the question, how does that happen? What kinds of things help a disconnected people stay connected to a common purpose? So you've got this team, it's a day in the life of, and yet I know this week there'll be teams throughout the world doing the same thing with the same tools for the same purpose. How do you help people stay connected in that way? What do you think the elements are that go in to making that happen? That's an important question for what we're gonna talk about a little bit later on. So please spend 10 minutes discussing that. How can you get people from different places all on the same page together? What, what does that require?
Okay, hope that was helpful. Um, we're gonna talk about what I believe to be the key for this. So as I say, XDocs is about unity. It's not simply about unity amongst people, it's about you having a sense of unity with God and with others. And also understanding why sometimes people don't get you. Why sometimes people don't understand what you're saying or the way you're thinking and feeling about different things. And maybe why you don't understand others as well. It all starts with a statement. Now, Pays' statement is, we're missionaries who make missionaries. Uh, you may have a different statement or a different kind of sense of uh, purpose. Let me just read to you some of the um, statements uh, that people have made in the church I go to. These are things that they say uh, are kind of like they're, they're paramount, what they get up for in the morning. To help people love Jesus more. To leave a positive mark on people by helping them. To invest in disciples that invest in disciples that make disciples. So we start with this statement, this, this ideal of what we're hoping to achieve in our lives. And then we aim for a source. There's something that's driving us or something that's pulling us, something that we look to. Um, for some people, it's a different worldview. Um, I would like to think that my source is Jesus. And I give credit to that because of the church where I became a Christian and discipled me for years when I was a young man. I became a Christian a week before my 14th birthday. And I went to a church in Manchester, Sharon Church. It wasn't a very big church, but it was a church that was, looking back now, realised it was just obsessed with Jesus. You know, there are different types of denominations. There are Bible churches that are obsessed with the Bible. There are, there are um, Baptist, uh, a Baptist church that, that are really centred around the doctrine of baptism. Um, I went to a Pentecostal church and you would think it would be obsessed with the Holy Spirit. But really, when I think about my church, it was obsessed with Jesus. When I was ever in leadership meetings, as I got older and started to serve with the church, every time we talked about different things, it always came back to, would this be something Jesus would have done? And I thank God so much for that. You know, sometimes I've sat in other church meetings and, and we've been discussing things and I've sat back and I'll be really honest, sometimes I thought, is this actually Christianity? This is so different from my upbringing. Jesus didn't really get a mention. He was, he was kind of mentioned at the beginning when somebody maybe read a Bible reading and it says, Lord Jesus then left the room and we discussed uh, stuff to do with the church and we thought about focus groups. And sometimes it felt like focus groups was the source or sometimes just the politics within the church was the source, the thing that was driving us. How do we keep people happy? But for me, the thing I, I thank God for is a church that gave me the source and the source was Jesus. Now, one day when I was uh, in, in the church, I opened up for a guy who came in to tune the piano. And we had an interesting conversation about tuning pianos and he taught me something really interesting. And he said this, he said, you know, um, if there's a room full of 100 pianos, you can tune them two different ways. You can get the first piano and tune it and then you can get the second piano and tune it to the first piano. And you can tune the second piano to the first piano and it'll sound perfect. And you can tune the third piano to the second piano, it'll sound perfect. You can tune the fourth piano to the third piano, it'll sound perfect. And you can do that for 100 pianos. But when you press middle C on the 100th piano 
and we'll see on the first piano, it will be completely out of tune. So we never tune pianos that way, he said. What we do is we tune the second piano to the first piano. Then we tune the third piano to the first piano, and the fifth to the first, and the 55th to the first, and the 100th to the first. And because of that, all the pianos in the room, 100 pianos will be in tune with each other. That's what happens if you get the source right. And if Jesus is our source, then we will be on the same page. If we, are, if we have Jesus as the source, if, if what we're thinking and the way we understand life is based around the life of Jesus, if he's the one that dominates our thinking, then we will flow much better with God and much better understand his will for life. But there's a problem with this diagram. And the problem is that actually more than just the statements and the source, there's a third factor. And the third factor is our society. Many of us are far more influenced by our society than we actually realize. And that makes a big difference when it comes to unity. For instance, let me give you an example. If Pays, which the headquarters of Pays is based in the USA, if we work out our model based on American Christianity, that's okay, it'll probably work in America. But the minute we try and uh, take that to Africa or Pakistan or Brazil, or Great Britain, or Ireland, or Germany, suddenly it falls apart, it can't be reproduced. The reason pays can be re reproduced is because we try not to be distracted by um, what happens in our society around us, and instead constantly look back and say, well, what did Jesus do? And how did Jesus do it? And let's not, let's not look at what other people in our kind of society are doing, let's try and forget that for a moment and look at what Jesus did. If I was to, if I was to kind of give a recipe for success, a recipe for a peaceful life, I don't mean a life without strife, I mean a life with peace with God, it would be this. That success comes when the only person we compare ourselves to is Jesus, and the only person we compete against is ourselves. If the only person you compare yourself to is Jesus, yes, you're not going to make the grade, but hey, you know it. It's not a problem because, hey, how can I compare myself to Jesus? It's when we start comparing ourselves to other people that we start getting into problems. The only person we should really compete against is ourselves. You know, God never compares us to each other. He just tries to connect us with each other. You find that in all of his teaching. So I talked about statements and source and society. Let me show you Pays' version of that. At the bottom here, our statement is about missionaries. We're missionaries making missionaries. Our source is Christ or the Messiah. Very often uh, we spend time just really trying to get to the context of Jesus, especially his Jewishness, to really understand. Let's take away Americanism, take away Britishness and think, what did Jesus actually do? But the thing that can distract us is ministry, specifically other ministries. If Pays starts comparing ourselves to other ministries, we're going to be in problems. We're going to, we're going to get ourselves in some hot water. Uh, we're going to have all sorts of difficulties, which I'm going to mention in a minute. What about you? Can I suggest 
a version of this for you. Or the bottom might be your calling that God called you. Uh, you're aiming, I hope, your source should be Christ. But I wonder if what distracts you is Christianity. Christianity and Christ are not always the same thing. Christianity changes from nation to nation. Christianity in England looks a little bit different from Christianity in America, which looks a lot different from Christianity in Pakistan. So what is your source? So let's look at our second workshop. Create your own version of my diagram. Ask these three questions. What is your statement? What should be your source? And what is the society that's affecting you? So I, I would hope that you're aiming for a source, but if you think about it, is there some kind of society? Is it Christianity? Is it ministry? Is it something else? Maybe it's the organization you're involved in or the church you're involved in. And sometimes you're comparing yourself to people in that organization, that network, um, that church, wherever that might be. And actually, when you think about it, you're being pulled in that direction, not because that's just their fault, but because you're allowing yourself to compare yourself to those people or those situations instead of comparing yourself to who you should. It's just a thought. And then as you look at your worksheet, let me ask you this one final question. How would you know if you are being pulled away from the true source? I think it's really important here to uh, understand and, and approach this question in a mature way. Uh, we're not looking to blame a society. We're not looking to blame the world. This is more of a heart check. You know, sometimes we can say, oh, it's because I'm part of this or because uh, I'm involved in this or because of this church and the people in this church. Actually, we're responsible for, for who is driving us and, and what we're comparing ourselves to. So this is not looking for blame. This is more of a heart check for us personally. Okay, so spend time, uh, even if you're in a group, I would suggest you do this one uh, as an individual, but then feel free to feed back uh, as a group and share what you found as you thought through these questions. So over this series, we're going to really be looking at that final question. We're going to be asking the question, what is driving us? What is our source really? Is it our society or is it Jesus? So for now, we're just going to look at three ways that we can begin to ask that question. And the first one is our expectations. Who sets your expectations? I don't mean for your work, because most of us are employed and we have different people who set that. I mean our personal expectations. I have a really good friend called Brooks. In fact, we share the same second name. Uh, we're probably related in some way, we think. Um, Brooks uh, is a phenomenal speaker and a, a, just a brilliant guy, very passionate man. Um, I don't know if you remember the Columbine shootings when um, some guys went into a school and shot their fellow students, but afterwards it was Brooks Gibbs who travelled around the States, saw something like a million young people and spoke to them on the back of Columbine and he went with and toured with many of the survivors of the shooting. So he saw many, many youth groups and many, many different ministries over the, the following couple of years. A little bit later on, he came to the youth ministry that we were running in the States in Texas. 
and he spent some time with us. He was in the schools with our teams. He did mentoring. He he saw how we operated. He watched our programs. He got involved in our events. And on the Sunday, uh, after he'd seen all this, uh, just before he got up to preach, he made this statement from the stage, and he said this: "This is one of the top five youth ministries in America." I was shocked and I was horrified. Uh, we'd only been going for a couple of years and I thought if this is one of the top five youth ministries in America, we're in trouble. But that wasn't the, my biggest concern. My biggest concern was this, we must not compare ourselves to other youth ministries. The minute we start comparing ourselves to other youth ministries, we forget our real purpose. Our purpose is to reach the young people in this city. The last thing I needed was my volunteers and my leaders to think, oh, okay, we're doing pretty good because then we just relax and we just scale things down. The fact of the matter is if we compare ourselves with each other, if we compete with each other, then so often we think, well, as long as I'm doing better than them, as long as I'm around about the right standard, then that's fine. But what if we what if we look to Jesus for our expectations? What if we look to what he was able to do and then we listen to when he said that we would do even greater things than him? How would that affect our expectations? Brooks um, was a massive blessing to our youth ministry and I know he made that statement uh, to encourage us and to be honest, he really did. But something in me said, I need to make sure our guys don't think this is about comparing ourselves to other youth groups. You know, I live in the city of Arlington, uh, Texas. Um, it's a beautiful city, fantastic city to be part of. Uh, there used to be something like 330,000 people in the city. I think that number's gone up now. Now, I want you to think about this. It says that you need 10% of the community to really influence that community. You need 10% of the people with you in order to affect the 90% uh, that, are, that are not with you yet. So that means that... Um, a church or the church in Arlington needs to be at least 33,000 people strong if we're going to influence. Now, sometimes when I think about church, I think often what we're doing is we're just comparing ourselves to other churches. And we think, you know what? If I have 500 people in my church, well, that's that's above average, so we're doing well. I, I remember um, being in a, in a particular event where a church was campaigning to raise money for a building and uh, one, of the, one of the leaders got up and um, this is what came out of his mouth he said hey we need to do this if we're going to compete against the churches in the city I physically gasped and I went <gasps> and then I looked around and expected everybody else to do the same but everybody else was like hmm and I'm thinking we have a different operating system because I don't think Jesus is at all interested in us competing against the other churches in the city. I don't think he wants us to compare ourselves to them. He wants us to compare ourselves to him. So if we compare ourselves to each other, we're continually going to limit what God can do in us and through us. Can I encourage you, only compare yourself to Jesus and only compete against yourself. So let me ask you this question. What are your expectations? Can I encourage you to set your goals on the life of Christ, not the customs of Christianity? 
Can I encourage you to allow other people to set their goals according to Christ, not what you expect of them? You know, sometimes we, we look at our parents, we look at our colleagues, we look at our friends, and uh, we allow that to influence us too much. Sure, they're there to encourage us and strengthen us, but you're only really going to see the bigger you that God sees in you when you compare yourself to Christ. Let's look at another area where we can begin to ask the question, what is my source? The area of partnerships comes to my mind. When I landed in America and when we started Pays, I met with a leader who kind of really inspired me to, to come over and to get this thing going. And uh, he was great. He was just saying, you know, I really believe in you and stuff like that. And then one day, though, he said this to me. He said, um, you know, Paul, if this works, if this grows, then one day you'll be able to sell Pays for a million dollars. I, even, I didn't even know what to do with that statement. I, I, I couldn't get my mind around that statement. What, what do you mean? Now I, now I understand because I've seen people do that. I've seen people build a Christian ministry and literally sell the rights to it, sell the networks, sell the process and make a lot of money. I think that's corporate Christianity. I don't think that's Christ. Um, I'm not saying everybody does that is wrong. I'm just questioning what is the source that we're comparing ourselves to? One of the problems with this is that you can get better and better at what you do, but if somebody's operating on a different operating system, then no matter how good uh, what you do is, when you offer it to them, it's not gonna make sense. You know, um, for many years, um, I couldn't quite get my mind around the way Christian TV works. I don't know if you're all the same, Sometimes I looked at Christian TV and I'm thinking, why are they showing this program? This is not the best preaching I've ever heard. You know, some guy in a little studio um, who talks in a bit of an awkward fashion, probably a bit like me. And um, it's just not very good. Or meetings that just seem a bit weird and bizarre. And I think, no, there's amazing things that they could be filming, amazing things that they could be showing. And, and the disparity between some excellent things that are on Christian TV and some really I don't want to say bad, but some really awkward things are on Christian TV. I just, I just couldn't understand it. And that's because my operating system said to me, that if I'm in charge of a Christian TV station, what I'm doing is I'm going to look and find the best kind of ministry I can to inspire Christians and to show that those who are watching Christian TV that aren't Christians, I want the best things. I want to show um, documentaries of people being healed in different countries. I want to tell people's stories. That's the kind of stuff I want. I couldn't understand why it was just constantly meetings and people preaching until I realized how Christian TV works. And most of it is the people who are preaching or the people who have the events are paying the Christian TV company to show their program. That made a lot of sense to me because we'd been taking the Pays documentary and offering it for free to a t Christian TV station saying, hey, here's this, here's this free documentary. It's TV quality. You can use it if you want to. And nobody bit. And I thought, that's weird because you've got these great stories of young people, great stories of pastors, great stories of people becoming Christians. Maybe if we make it better and maybe if we add more quality. And I spent most of my life trying to make things better and the mistake I've made is thinking that if I make things better other people will grab hold of them and what I'm realizing is sometimes we're just we just have a different operating system 
you know, I'm Xbox, they're PlayStation. Um, we're, we're, we're maybe approaching things from, from a fundamentally different position. I'm not saying that I'm always right, but I'm saying I'm often different. Sometimes I'm thinking, you know, if I do well enough, eventually there'll be a breakthrough. Eventually somebody will just realize what we're doing and get on board and there'll be a massive breakthrough. I realize now that I need to stop looking for a breakthrough and just starting, start to break free. Starting to break free from the comparison to other people. And maybe that's the same for you. Maybe the biggest breakthrough you'll have is by breaking free from comparisons to other people, trying to impress them, trying to get them to buy into who you are and just beginning to compare yourself to the source that is Jesus. So let me ask you another question when it comes to partnerships. Who are you partnering with? Can I, can I encourage you to find advisors who constantly point you to the life of Christ not the customs of Christianity or the customs of their church tradition or the customs of their background and upbringing or wherever it might be. Surround yourself with advisors who have a track record in the thing that you're looking to do. You know, there are some people I would go to to teach me about leadership, but I wouldn't go to them, to be honest, to ask them about parenting. There are some people I would go and say, teach me to be a good dad, but I wouldn't ask them to teach me to be a great speaker. I look for track record. Who's got a good track record in that area? Who's got a great track record with relationships? Who's got a great track record with communication? But more importantly, who's going to constantly point me back to exactly what Jesus actually did? Not their interpretation of his words, but what Jesus did in the Bible, in his life. Are those the kind of people you're partnered with? Are they the kind of people you're surrounding yourself with? Finally, let's look at one other area, the area of guidance. So if you're on a different page from Jesus, if... Um, the society you're in is, is really pulling you in that direction. You're gonna to struggle to see or hear or acknowledge or understand the signs of Jesus. And the signs are all around you. God's always kind of leading us, guiding us. Um, but I think sometimes we, we just struggle, you know? Um, in Christian leadership, sometimes when people don't want to do what they need to do, they will, they will play the God card, as we call it. They'll say to you, well, God's told me this or God's told me that. Um, because of the people I'm around, that rarely happens. Uh, most people I work with are quite mature. Um, sometimes though, however, when you go into a new um, nation, sometimes people will say, well, um, you can't do that in Belgium, or you can't do that in New Zealand, or wherever it might be, and they play the, the nation card. The reality is, if you look at Jesus, you realize what Jesus did is transferable everywhere. So I want to talk about this idea of uh, faith just quickly and what is the purpose of faith? What is God trying to do with your journey? I'm going to read some excerpts from um, my latest book um, because it's on this subject. So I want to read these to you and see if this helps you at all understand the importance of the assimilation of faith. The size of our faith is something that only we are obsessed with, not Jesus, who said, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. You see, success is not found in the amount of faith, but in the assimilation of faith. God wants you to have the same type of faith as Christ, 
a faith to believe for the same kind of outcome that Christ believes in. He takes us on the journey to discover his true purposes, a journey in which we will gain the kind of faith to believe for his dreams rather than the kind of faith we need for our personal dreams. Therefore, it is a path that time and again must highlight our misunderstanding of his purposes. Where we succeed at what we thought was his ultimate idea, only to find out it wasn't. After all, what is the point of having great faith for the wrong plan? So earlier on in this Livewire episode, I asked you the question, how would you know if you're being pulled away from the true source? And I think it's in this area. I think quite often this is a great area for us to ask the question, am I really following the true source? Is that where I'm going or am I going in a different direction? And the way you check is, am I looking to have greater faith for my dream or is God helping me to understand I don't need a huge amount of faith, but I do need to be pursuing his dream. A small amount of faith in his dream will see incredible results, far more than a great amount of faith for your own dream. It's about the assimilation of faith. So what God does, and I talk about in the book that I've just read from, is he takes us up a summit and he shows us things only to show us that actually that wasn't the point, that there's something much greater and the greater thing is his thing. So as we think about this, as we begin to go into this series where we're going to look at different ways of, of asking the question, you know, am I really pursuing Jesus? Am I really on the same page as Jesus? Or have I been dissuaded? Am I getting pulled away by something else? As we do that, let's look at our final workshop to prepare us for the rest of the series. Please take another look at these excerpts from my book. Then discuss these three questions. Can you think of a time when you had great faith, but for the wrong plan? What do you understand faith assimilation to be? And how do you think a better understanding of faith assimilation would affect you understanding God's guidance in your life? Okay, it's very simple live wire, just to begin to get us to ask the question, what is my true source? Am I being faithful to Jesus? Or is something else affecting me? For me, sometimes my question is, am I pursuing the kingdom? Or has corporate Christianity affected me so much that I can't sense what God is saying anymore? I've had to understand that if I'm going to pursue the kingdom, then other people that are maybe not on the same operating system as me may reject my ideas or thoughts or plans and not to lose heart in them, thinking they're wrong, but just realising that people are coming from a different perspective. Rather than me changing in order for them to accept them, I want to keep faithful and keep asking the question, what would Jesus do? In fact, actually, the question, what would Jesus do, isn't that great, you know, because the problem with it is it's often interpreted by us. You know, we, we like to think what Jesus would do. The better question might be, what did Jesus do? What did he actually do? That's not open for interpretation. We can see it in the Bible. So my last thought is this. Can I encourage you to do this? Only compare yourself to the Jesus 
in your Bible and not the Jesus in your society. Don't look at the Jesus of Paul Gibbs or the Jesus of your pastor. Look at the Jesus of the Bible. And as you find that true source, you're going to find yourself on the same page as God. And you're going to understand things that you never understood before. I uh, hope you enjoy the last workshop. Hopefully it's thought-provoking and I'll speak to you next time. Bye.